0: Hello, I am Jen, also known as Booking Jordan, and you are? Dwayne. Also known as?
1: There's, I don't know, I don't have one yet.
0: Okay, um, <laughs> we'll work this. on that. Um, and this is Left Unread Podcast, episode one. I am so excited. It has been a long, long time in the making, yeah. but we're finally here. Yeah, I'm glad we started, so. Yeah, I'm glad too. Oh, Enough this is
1: procrastinating is here.
0: Yeah, um, so this will be really fun. We'll get to talk about all things books and reading, like, you know, from articles, writings, all sorts of stuff from people of color, primarily black people, um, which is very, very exciting. And it's been on my heart for a while. So this is really, really good. Um, But episode one. So where are we going to start? You tell me. (laughs) We're actually going to start with Becoming by Michelle Obama. Now this has been talked about so, so much. Um, this came out like not even a full month ago, I don't believe, yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like it's pretty timely.
0: Yeah, it's very, very timely. Um, it is the memoir by Michelle Obama. If you haven't heard of it, I don't know how it's been one of the best sellers now. Everyone's been talking about it. And if, now we're about to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with Becoming, I've been reading it and overall I feel like it's just such a good read. Um, Very interesting. There's some parts that I really like, some little gems that Michelle Obama's dropping for us. Um, And then there's some things that are kind of problematic. (laughs) I've heard. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting when you're reading something from someone you admire so highly and you're so excited about reading it and all the emotions that you go through while reading it. And, you know, I was just sitting here thinking, especially with the week that we've had, yeah. uh, <laughs> the week kind of social media and Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the offset and everybody having opinions on is it problematic if he, you know, interrupted. somebody's job, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, Kanye West and his rant. He's had another rant. And, you know, people's viewpoint on that and, you know, whatever turmoils he's going in in mm-hmm. his personal life and how he's going about it. And, you know, everybody just has all these weigh-ins. And I was like, you know, with some of these favorite excerpts of mine and some of these things that really stood out in the book, would this be viewed if it, Michelle Obama was tweeting this from her Twitter account as problematic? Because some of the stuff was, it's like, I don't know if you'd be getting likes, retweets, or like what the heck the is going on. That was
1: definitely crazy to think about if, if some of these things were excerpts. Um, yeah. Or, or were tweets
0: yeah that would be funny like if some of these were like michelle was just tweeting them so you know and it's funny because when i was reading this i was just highlighting things that stood out to me i wasn't going in from the mindset of if this was tweeted but from this week i was like oh my gosh they think they think kanye problematic Mm -hmm. (laughs) not to be funny but you know i'm like wow you know but Anyways, let's just dive into the book because there's there's a tons of stuff from the good, the bad, the ugly, okay. all of it. So yeah, let's get into it. When you heard about the book, were were some of your initial thoughts? Um,
1: well, I was surprised that it was this big a seller. I guess it, it made sense like after a while, but um, I didn't really have any thoughts going into it. I thought it would be cool. Um, I thought she would be pretty guarded. I mean, because I view her, even though she doesn't view her as a politician or a political person, I do a lot of the way that she handled certain positions or her matriculation through school was in a political or calculated fashion. So that's why I didn't feel like um, this, you know, really juicy type thing. But um, I thought it would be balanced and it would give a lot of overall information, you know, culminating her life to this point.
0: Yeah, so that's um, interesting. I guess when I went into it, I didn't even, I don't think I had that same viewpoint. Um, I don't know if I thought she was going to be guarded necessarily. I just wanted anything and everything Michelle Obama. I felt like I missed her. I missed seeing her as my first lady and just all that that meant to me. And, you know, we, even though you see certain pictures that circulate in the news and certain things that are happening, I kind of just wanted a little bit more now that everything's over. I felt like maybe now we can hear what did she think of all of this in like the past eight years of her life and what did that look like and what was it really like, even if she couldn't give all the details. I just kind of wanted more. I felt I see her as a public figure, but I also see her as just something that just meant so much to me, especially at the time period it was that she came out, um, within the eye of the public, I guess. Um, so yeah, so I would say that your your initial assumptions kind of were on point um, from reading the book. The book itself is broken into three sections. It's actually three separate books to me, all in one. You could actually say it's like level one, two, and three, or volume one, two, and three of her life. Um, Becoming Me is probably the section I feel like is the most authentic and most honest. Um, So much beautiful writing. It was very creative and very, I felt like I was into her innermost thoughts. And I felt like it was just a peek as to who Michelle Obama is by what her foundations were um, to lead her into the woman that she has become. And it also felt like she was giving a lot of gems of advice, of things to learn from from her experiences. The Becoming Me section um, part that I really, really enjoyed or liked was Michelle says, what if after all this fuss, we were just the best of the worst? And here she's basically talking about her going to this new high school where she's being bussed out in the magnet program. And it's going to be her first time really... Like, they they basically took some of the best students, and it was supposed to be a really good mix. Turns out it was a little bit more Black than was expected, but, you know, it still was a mix of students from all different sorts of backgrounds. And, you know, she had people who came for money that were there, and it was just such a big shock. So she was like, you know, what if after all of this, we were really the best of the worst? This is just a self-doubt. And for me, I felt like I could relate to that so many times throughout my life. And I just wonder, I don't know if that's just what it, it's like being part of a disenfranchised uh, population or um, even minority a minority group where you constantly have to do those affirmations to yourself. And anytime you're put into a population where the bar seems to be raised a little bit, um, or it's just a little bit outside your comfort zone, you're wondering like, Was I really, am I really that good or was I just good because I was in a smaller setting?
1: I think a lot of times people can doubt themselves um, throughout their lives no matter what they're going through, especially if they're going to a new circumstance. Yeah. And especially when you're, you know, every influence around you is basically, you're dumb, you're ugly, and all that stuff. Um, So you keep hearing that over and over again, that may have some impact, so that just may be that passage may be a reflection of that. I was um, in a conversation. I had a one-on-one with the with one of the directors, and um, I was like, you know, sometimes because like I feel like things are easy. I was like, sometimes I don't know if people are like congratulating me or like um, applauding me because I'm, you know, like just a black guy doing it or something like that. And she was just like, so. And so at some point, it's like, okay, you're the best of the world. So I mean, it's like
0: you're still <laughs> <Whoa>. achieving. <laughs> So it's like, I am the best of the worst. (laughs) No, you're not.
1: You're the best, and that's what it is. Okay. (laughs) Not saying that I'm the best of the worst, but it's just... (laughs) Yeah. I I, I wonder, do other people, like, have to even think that, or do they just say, I'm going to a new school? Like, because for us, we have to, like, kind of be good or do good. Oh, yeah, I don't think people
0: who... I don't think, like... um, for instance, I don't think a white male would have the mo- as much of a likelihood to have to repeat that to themselves as much as a black male or a Latino male or, you know, whatever minority group. All right, so one thing that I found also interesting in reading Becoming was, do you remember the whole Reverend Jesse Jackson yeah. <laughs> situation? That
1: was one of my favorite parts of the <laughs> MICAP stand-up.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say favorite parts of this process. (laughs) That would have been terrible. Um, Yeah, no, what was the bit? Because it's hard. I actually need to review the clip because there's a passage that made me really think about it and be like, didn't he call him an N-word on? No. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No. (laughs) Under his mic?
1: Yeah, he said something ridiculous.
0: Well, I found super interesting, so... As this person is introduced in the books, Santita's father was famous. This was the primary impossible to get around fact of her life. She was the eldest child of Reverend Jesse Jackson. The fi- and she goes into this, and basically, the two of them were childhood friends. They remained friends throughout college. She was in Michelle Obama's wedding. Like, they're close friends. So I was like, I never knew that. Did you know that? So she talks about the different times like they have all these experiences together the different times that she's just came through, how she visited her while she was at Princeton, how she visited her and at Howard and like their friendship. And it's just mind boggling to me. I'm like, I really hope she hasn't got into it yet. And I'm like, at what point in the presidential mm-hmm. run mm-hmm. did Homeboy say that about her husband? Cause I wonder what that would be like if my childhood friend, his father got caught under the I mean, mic people saying. People don't
1: that. be friends with their friends' parents like that. Just especially maybe if they're famous, that person was probably always traveling. You never saw them.
0: Yeah, he was always traveling, but it's still like just I'm I I don't know I don't. And it's I'm like not like
1: <laughs> Baraka's, you know, his friend, his guess. child's friend.
0: But it was it was a shocking situation. Whether or not yeah, I knew the context, shocking. anyways. That's
1: not that's something that's cool to kind of like learn, looking back on it, yeah. kind of think about what that. That moment might have been like when she found out. I'm hoping she, she writes about.
0: about it. I don't. I don't know because right now we're still in the first year of Obama's. Well, the part that I'm on, I'm in the first year of Obama's um, presidency. Well, it had happened already. So this was when he was running. Yeah. She doesn't talk about it. Darn it darn 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 <laughs> that's what we want to know we don't want to know about this jeremiah right reverend jeremiah right n- nonsense that you're getting into i want to know about how'd you feel because that's
1: why people was talking about how he was up in the audience you know crying <laughs> after he had called him a bitch on the mic <laughs> oh, <God.
0: laughs> did he really call him a b word i don't know what he okay him. i thought he called him the edward <laughs> we need to actually look that up but anyways maybe we don't oh my god my phone's right there if you're trying to reach. You no. need it? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> so Michelle Obama, she talks about her getting into Princeton, and she talks about basically like the whole fact of her guidance counselor. Wait, did she
1: talk about where she, the school she applied to?
0: Yeah, Princeton. That's the only one? Um, I find out later that she didn't apply to the Chicago school. Like, she didn't even think of it as being an option for her. For some reason, it seemed more attainable to go to Princeton than it did to go to, I forget.
1: Northwestern, University of Illinois, Chicago.
0: University of Illinois, I believe it is. But um, her brother went to Princeton, Mm -hmm. so she kind of. Oh, he's older brother? He's an older brother. Okay. So she kind of, when she visited the campus, she kind she of... Was already going, oh, familiar. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it seemed... But it's funny, her guidance counselor was like, she doesn't think she's Princeton material. And she doesn't say that she said it because she was black or anything like that. But you know how they kind of discourage you from whatever your goals yeah. are or whatever. I remember my guidance counselor session didn't really go that great either as far as some of the aspirations that I had and you know I would I hate to say that I I heeded to some of it it did demoralize me a little bit Um, but I was just more so you know how attainable is Emory really because Emory was the school that I really wanted to go to and I was like how am I going to afford all of this even if I do get in I do think I could get in and I mean my application fee everything was waived I was in communication with the university and everything and I still I couldn't handle the thought of rejection from them or the possibility of not, so I never applied. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. But it's crazy how they do that in the school I don't, systems. I don't think
1: a lot of those guidance counselors are well equipped uh, for those type of conversations. At least when we were going to school, I mean, I don't, I, know.
0: I don't know. Mine was. I I feel like there's a lot of bias that goes into it. Again, you're not Princeton material. That has nothing to do with being equipped or not. That's literally something where you have a bias against someone. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Anyways, um, so long-winded, <laughs> but um, so, anyways, she got into Princeton. Plot spoiler alert, whatever. Um, so I guess
1: she got out of the "Am I good enough?" type thing.
0: No, she didn't. Did she
1: talk about why she applied?
0: She had to tell herself, and she was she her personality type was to prove people wrong, so she she never went back to that guidance counselor or whatever. See,
1: now, that is something that I guess we'll talk more about. But to me, that relates about- to an assumption that they might be right in general. Because if somebody has these preconceived notions, like a stereotype, which is not logical or based on anything, there's nothing to prove wrong.
0: Yeah, when you're a 17, 18-year-old kid, though, and you have an adult telling you that.
1: I understood. No, I get what you're you're saying. I'm (laughs) saying when we combine all the things that I'm assuming you're going to talk about.
0: What are you assuming I'm going to talk about in this book?
1: Just respectability, politics type stuff.
0: Why do you feel that way?
1: Just from things I've heard or seen on the internet. Oh, okay. 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 But you know you can't trust the internet.
0: You can't. You can't. Because it doesn't really paint the full picture. Anyways, let's get into... We're talking about Princeton here. Now she's here at Princeton, and I think that is interesting because up until this point, she doesn't really talk about race that much. Like, in Becoming Me section, race is glossed over. It's not really deep-dived into. um, Even there's a section where her father gets his car keyed or vandalized, I should say. They never said keyed. Um, And it's implied that it was probably racially motivated, but it's never flat-out stated. Um... It's just more so like all of these instances, while we know Michelle is black, a lot of her upbringing just seems very American. It doesn't necessarily bring into race. Um, she also goes into race a little bit when she talks about her paternal grandfather, Dandy, um, who basically calls, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that was an awkward laugh, but calls like black Americans, certain black Americans or ghetto black Americans, boo-boos, and he feels like they give black people a bad name, and she kind of talks about that men and how his upbringing and all the struggles that he went through kind of shaped the lens that he views the world out of. Um, So she touches on race, but it's not really a deep dive. She finally gets into talking a little bit more about race. And this is a passage while she's actually at Princeton University. She's talking about her experience there. And then she goes on to talk about Kathy, which is one of her roommates. Her mother, a schoolteacher from New Orleans, had been so appalled that her daughter had been assigned a black roommate that she badgered the university to separate us. Her mother also gave an interview confirming the story, story and providing more context. Having been raised in a home where the N-word was a part of the family, um, having a grandfather who'd been a sheriff and used to brag about chasing black people out of his town, she'd been horrified, as she put it, by my proximity to her daughter. All she knew her freshman year was that Kathy was moved out of the triple into a single room. I'm happy to say I had no idea why. And that's pretty much, she doesn't really go into her emotions involved in that. It literally
1: in cuts and space and it says, a big M, my financial aid. It stops right there. <laughs> I'm looking at the passage. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> Stop it. My financial aid package at Princeton required me to get a work-study job. No explanation just no just yeah So she wants you to I guess in this case make your own inferences yeah. Um and she wants to put it out there. She made a couple of points without saying her position on them. She's talked about basically police brutality without making in a sheriff chasing people out that's police brutality. Oh, see um, I, that, that was a context I a would A form have of got. oppression from police <laughs> she mentioned Casual racism, how things were used in the home, so maybe not overt in the way they communicated outwardly, but in their home. And highly educated people, meaning someone who went to Princeton, could be racist. So she mentions a lot of things about racist systems. However, she doesn't speak on her views on them or what they mean or how they make her feel. Even when you were describing the adjectives of how she described what racism was like it could be like things that go either other any like some of the talking points that white people use about racism oh you just have to work harder mm-hmm. or it you know if you just reach out or yeah. so all those types of things um not very deliberate um, but very political but still important um to share what she shared in that passage, but it was very abrupt, but maybe the abruptness makes it stick with you. I'm not sure of the literary uh, devices, <laughs> Yeah. but... Um,
0: I don't know about that, yeah.
1: To end it off like that in a, in a memoir about yourself, but you end a passage describing other people um, without how something like that impacts you, um, it, it's curious to me at this point, for someone who hasn't read yet.
0: Yeah, and for someone who has read um, I that's crazy cuz you know we have been refraining to talk about this just so it could be a natural dialogue. And I'm glad yeah, that articulated a lot of what I felt and not only that, a lot of what I didn't even think about because for someone like me who read this, I was trying to figure out where the gaps in this and how did you feel about this? He, if this happened to you, mine is always from a probably a more emotional standpoint where I'm like, like what you're saying, you're glad you didn't know about it. Great. And it's glossed over as if this wasn't a big issue. It is a big issue. And then when you put into all the different topics that technically were mentioned in here, I wouldn't even have grasped that from that because the passage was cut off so short. I didn't even have the time to really process I was like, dang, a share, that sucks that, you know, that family did all these atrocious things and she's saying that they seemed embarrassed by it. For me, I was more so offended that it even seemed like she was not apologetic for them, but almost understanding of their position and kind of minimize the severity of the whole situation as a whole. I don't know. Reading it you put a bad taste in my mouth.
1: I want to cut to the chase on... This whole conversation. Let's get to the passage that <laughs> was on Twitter because th- that's what's basically framing this whole conversation.
0: Um, uh, Dwayne's over here pulling up. You know, I got it highlighted, baby.
1: Oh, you got it already. I mean, okay.
0: So, so we'll 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 get back into now, the we'll good get parts, back to it, but, <laughs> but
1: we want to get back into it. But this is what's framing because this is what started this whole conversation not, between me and Jen. Oh, okay. Around I get this book okay, because so, I'm not reading yeah. it. And so this has kind of framed my yeah, outlook into the book. So I want everybody to be aware.
0: So backstory: Dwayne comes to me and he shows me this passage. I'm at work. Okay. Taking a break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Dwayne tells me like this passage of the thing and he's like, did you see this? And I'm thinking like, He was so shocked by it, and I was like... Well,
1: I wasn't shocked by it. I didn't see... I didn't read it
0: yet. Oh, okay. You didn't read it yet. That's right. He sent it to me, and I read it, and I was like, well, I don't understand what people are so shocked by that excerpt for because reading the book throughout, like, even Becoming Me and stuff, it falls into line with everything else that was said. So then you did read it, and you were like, what? Like, you were a little livid.
1: Yeah, I was... Yeah. Curious for about five minutes, but then I cool
0: down. So for me, I was thinking like, yeah, she's been making all these subtle jabs, technically being a little bit more difficult on Black people versus anything that could possibly get her into some to trouble. We're gonna get into the. I'm telling them what sparked this, okay. Dwayne. Okay, okay, we'll go, Dwayne. No, no, this... Dwayne can't wait, so we're gonna go. Let me quote her here, so I'm not doing it wrong. Is basically she's saying, what we've learned over this year is that hope is making a comeback. And let me tell you something, for the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. Not just for, and she goes into her whole thing. So basically what was Well, let's stop pulled right there, apart,
1: because that was actually a controversial statement. That's and I what didn't realize she, she said, oh, okay, that's,
0: This is what sparks everything. Okay. So this is the catalyst that leads into the Reverend Wright situation. Okay. So. She's talking about basically, if you guys aren't familiar, the controversial, she said this was the first time in her adult life that she was proud of the country, which for me as a black person was my first time actually being proud. And it was, it was actually later than hers. Her, mine was when he was actually elected because I still had doubt that that was even possible in our America. So it made me proud that we're finally at a point in U.S. history where a black person could be president of the United States. Of America and it's not this fairy tale land. Of course she backpedals in this and she says like you know it was taken out of context and of course she's proud of her country and all this other stuff and she doesn't directly say yeah this was the first time I was proud. She basically says like she wasn't proud because of him being elected the first time. It was more so she was proud because she saw that people were actually believing in the um the Judicial system and actually coming out and voting and getting involved in politics. That's what was making her proud. It was the first time people were using their voices. So then somehow she does this to frame as to how she started to become problematic in a sense for the Obama campaign but not really it was just there was a lot of backlash that she was getting where they were painting her as Obama's baby mama and saying like you know basically she's an angry black woman and all this other stuff anyways then the controversy comes out about the reverend rights okay. you can
1: paraphrase if you need to
0: Okay, so basically she's saying she does address something about this. She's saying like it basically the subtle less than subtle message about race meant to stir up the deepest and ugliest kind of fear within the voting public. Don't let the black folks take over. They're not like you. Their vision is not yours. This wasn't helped by the fact that ABC News has had combed through 29 hours of Reverend Jeremiah writes sermons, splicing together a jarring highlight reel that showed the preacher careening through callous and inappropriate fits of rage and resentment at white America, as if white people were to blame for every woe. Barack and I were dismayed to see this, a reflection of the worst and most parano- paranoid parts of the man who married us and baptized our children. Both of us had grown up with family members who viewed race through a lens of cranky mistrust. I experienced Dandy's simmering resentment over the decades he'd spent being passed by professionally because of his skin color, as well as Southside's worry that his grandkids weren't safe in white neighborhoods. Barack, meanwhile, had to listen to two, his white grandmother, make offhanded ethnic generalizations and even confess to her black grandson that sometimes she felt afraid when running into a black man on the street. We had lived for years with the narrow-mindedness of some of our elders, having accepted that no one is perfect, particularly those who came of age in a time of segregation. Perhaps this has had caused us to overlook the more absurd parts of Reverend Wright's spitfire preaching, even if we hadn't been present for any of the sermons in question. I love that alibi. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even know that. <laughs> Basically. Seeing an extreme version of this, um, broadcast in the news, though we were appalled, the whole affair was a reminder of how our country's distortions about race could be two-sided, that the suspicion and stereotyping ran both ways. And okay,
1: so sh- <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> here was my issue with this.
0: Oh, just outside one. of the okay. obvious issues, okay.
1: There, there are several, <laughs> and more and more appear after you look into it. You
0: should actually hear her read it on audio. Now, now wait, no, no. Wait. You have to hear okay. her read it on audio. It's worse than reading it, wish it yourself. I could play it,
1: but that would probably
0: not be allowed.
1: But anyway, first thing I want to acknowledge is that, yes, we are looking at an excerpt. I haven't read the book. And we I are read talking, the book. And we are talking about someone whose excerpts were used. So and kind of maybe taken out of context. So I do want to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, and that's the funny part. Like a funny part of this is this section is about basically how our excerpt was taken out of context, and we're doing the same thing to her. Only difference is we're reading the whole thing, and this wasn't someone who was given a message. She wrote this in print. You you calculated over these words when you said two sided (laughs) and absurd. Okay. 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 I'm sorry. Mm-mm, 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 chile, Woo. chile.
1: So, what part of when they go low, we go high is this? This is when because we,
0: when they go low, we ignore of it and go high. But when it's a black person, you call them out and you get gutted with them. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: So, some of those speeches from Reverend Wright were from like 2001. Even if one they were the from main 2000, speeches, I, oh, I'm sorry. One of the main speeches <laughs> was right after September 11th, which is why it, it caused such a big uproar. So it's 20 years ago, and obviously the election was about 10 years ago when the controversy happened. I don't understand where the going high is in this passage. <laughs> I also don't understand how a smart person can, and a lawyer, can make this type of argument.
0: They can when they're a politician.
1: The argument doesn't make sense. It says distortions about race could be two-sided when, and then suspicion and stereotyping ran both ways. But one person, you literally mentioned facts yeah for that they passed over
0: yeah passed over due to segregation
1: and then you mention fear based on what yeah based from, on the
0: person being black it was because they 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 were afraid of black
1: men. i mean a a person who lived in america a black person in america during that time it's based on suspicion and stereotyping their fear <laughs> of white people how I, I just don't understand how you connect that to Reverend Wright.
0: Why did she have to? Even put if it you in? believe that, that yeah. doesn't even make Mine sense. Mine was more so like I guess because it was such a big scandal, she felt like she had to address it in the book. But part of me is like, why did she have to address it? This brings me back to the Reverend Jesse Jackson situation where she didn't bring that up. Maybe because of her close bond with. His daughter, out of respect, she didn't. Clearly, you have no respect for this man who baptized your children and married you. Because I don't understand what the relevance is where you had to drag him through the mud. It's something we were over. When I was reading this memoir, I didn't even expect this to be in here. This wasn't even something that, to me, was a big deal when this whole situation happened. To me, it it ran through. When she's talking about paranoia, it's the paranoia of people thinking that because we have a black person in office that all of a sudden— only black agenda is going to be addressed or whatever and we're going to take over. Like to me that is what this passage is almost assuring reassuring these people that were paranoid about to understand the truth and it's like anybody who was level-headed didn't have an issue with him and his preachings. Like it wasn't even that radical. It was literally saying what any minority or oppressed group would be saying. Like, yeah,
1: it, but that's the point. The nervous maybe, no, maybe I didn't hear there, all of the stuff. Maybe I didn't hear all of the. There had to be stuff behind the scenes, and then he also kept going and started saying a little bit more weird stuff. But oh, okay. It See, wasn't. No, it wasn't oh. out of the normal. It was just like they probably just wanted him to be quiet. But I don't know why it would make it to this book. book yeah. and you would put it on a level playing field.
0: Because so it's like resurfacing this. Because I can understand distancing dandy yourself from him. simmering
1: resentment over decades <laughs> he'd spent being passed by professionally. Because of his skin color. <laughs> decades. He had simmering resentment. And that was disgusting to her. Basically. So that's she, the tone. She
0: doesn't use that simmering word. Simmering
1: resentment. Just that's she, That's to invoke the fact that he was... Almost an angry black man. No, he was
0: an angry black man.
1: Yeah, but she's putting it in the context in a book where she talks about being called an angry black woman, and then you talk about your own family member as an angry black person who's angry about racism. (laughs) Another thing that disturbed me is that, like I said, this happened, I think, for the most part in the early 2000s, and then obviously around the 2008 time period. And then after the passage about Reverend Wright, she goes on to say, Someone, meanwhile, had dug up my senior thesis from Princeton, written more than two decades earlier.
0: <laughs> you guys who are not watching us but are listening on the podcast, you guys should have saw Adoian's face. It's basically go- Basically, one of, like, that meme, like, really, like, like, you know, like really. It's
1: kind of like just, like, an office face when you look at the camera, when they look at the Oh, yeah, the yeah, camera. that's
0: true, that's true. <laughs> oh,
1: my gosh. For reasons I'll never understand.
0: Yeah, I will never understand why she well, no, no, talked no, about no. the reverend here, well, too. Yeah,
1: for, exactly. For reasons I'll never understand, the conservative media was treating my paper as if it were some secret black power manifesto a threat that had been unburied.
0: Yeah, and then also she even gives excuses as to why she was writing that making it sound like she just wrote this to get into school. It doesn't really align with her beliefs. It was so long ago and all this other stuff, but that's neither here nor there. It is actually neither everywhere. It's literally everywhere because it's like, I just felt while reading this, if you are going to go ahead and dig up this and drag him through the mud, That's fine, but have that same energy, keep that same energy throughout for everybody who you point out anything with. You can't be lenient on one side and then go in on another side because you know you have more, like there's not going to be a backlash for you calling out Reverend Wright like this. But if you were to call out the mother who... Pulled her daughter out of your dorm room, maybe that would have been an issue. If you would have called out the media for calling you a baby mama or saying all these crazy stuff about you, maybe that would have had more of a pushback. If you would have talked about Barack's grandmother, who was white, who was afraid of black men, maybe if you were harsher in the way you described that, maybe that would have more pushback. I felt like, like with many people, this isn't just to Michelle Obama. A lot of time when they're addressing things that when you're addressing an audience that is larger than the black realm, you tend to cater that message towards white people and what you feel like they will view as acceptable and as something that you can get away with saying.
1: I think that's a perfect example of what they did or what she did here, and also what Barack did, you know, kind of through his political career. Um, He was one to call out those Um, (laughs) boo-boos. He called out black people males in particular at several times on the things that they need to do um, in a respectability type way um, in order to move forward I don't really recall him generalizing any white group in particular non-political group in particular about what they need to do to succeed not that it didn't happen but before we move on or go to the next part of this I do want to mention that like I did with the previous patches, that she did bring to light something. So she brought up um, hiring discrimination. Yeah. Um, she brought up that even people with black people in their family, so or people who say my best friend is black, can have some, you know, racism in their thinking. Um, and she also. Um, brought up that you know people worry about moving their kids into white neighborhoods i don't think that's something that a lot of white people who may read this think about i think they might think you know they know about how white people feel white flight and all that but i don't think they consider yeah that black people might feel unsafe in white environments yeah and so she does bring up that's some things very good here yeah. but once again doesn't necessarily speak to how they make, well, she does kind of speak to how they make her feel. She feels like they're inappropriate or generalizations, but she is an important voice in showing that these things or these thoughts exist. Unfortunately, she kind of undermines them.
0: Yeah, um, and she kind of aligns making someone being afraid of moving into a white neighborhood due to clearly anytime there's a black person around or something like that in a predominantly white area you're a target like this isn't paranoia this is literally like this is what happens you can't equate that to the same thing as someone admitting they're afraid of black people because literally that's why they're doing the things in the white neighborhoods as to why we're scared of moving in because we're scared white people are going to be scared of us <laughs> and something bad's going to happen you know what I mean? Like right. it's not.
1: And then the racist sheriff is going to be on their yeah. side based on you know what she says in this. Book. Yeah. So it's From just like I don't understand how she says That's, that these the are two. That, you know, Dandy might have had.
0: Yeah. So I don't understand with that knowledge how she's saying like these are two extreme sides of the coin because on one hand, one side doesn't really seem that. It, I don't know. I I guess I just don't understand how coming from that viewpoint, she could articulate that and equate those two things together as being equally wrong. I don't know. You know, I, I, I just don't know what her mindset was. And I also have to realize that I understand not everybody's viewpoints are going to be the same as mine, but I do think to a certain extent, whether you view yourself more along the lines of respectability, politics, where act right, they'll treat you right or not, To me, that had nothing really to do with this. This is literally bringing up someone, you attended their church for two decades, whether or not you wanna own up to it now, and you're acting like what he was saying was so outlandish and you were appalled. Come on, you're throwing somebody under the bus. Clearly you had to, I I just don't buy it.
1: I I just think my bottom line is, this is not something that a smart person would write.
0: It it clearly is, because she's very intelligent. That's but, what upsets but, me more. Right, that's what I'm saying. It, it upsets
1: me because this is not something I would think a smart person I know. would write. Because imagine, it, if, the, she the make imagine s- if she tweeted that.
0: Imagine if she tweeted, let's say it was this week. We had Kanye West, we had Offset, and we had all this craziness. And then Michelle Obama goes on a Twitter r- r- rampage of where she's writing all of these thoughts about Reverend and, and attaches and, and, the video. And
1: she ends it with suspicion and stereotyping ram ran both ways.
0: How do you think that would be perceived? Like, just how do you think it would be?
1: Well, first of all, there's a lot of people who agree with the crazy things that people do on social media, yeah, regardless of, of what yeah, they Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of people will do, you know, kind of what we do in general when it comes to a lot of people that we admire is we let stuff go and we let it slide or we rationalize it.
0: Yeah,
1: um, yeah,
0: that's true. I would probably Or we try say, to, you know, like, you
1: take the good with the bad. Or, yeah. you know, I can see where she's coming from. Or based on the way she was raised, that's the way she
0: thinks. Yeah, um, that's probably what I would do. Because even while reading this, I've made excuses. Because after that passage, I read a little bit and had to take a break. Then I came back to it. But literally, I was, like, trying to reconcile in my thought process. Like, you know, maybe she really feels this way. Maybe, you know, she had this memoir and she was pressured into having to address this. And this was her... Way of do and I try to do all these things like you said, giving her the benefit of doubt. I can appreciate her as a whole, but on this, from my gut, she was wrong. Point blank, period. Like I feel like this was inappropriate. But again, you know, like you said, different people feel differently about that. But it just seemed very unnecessary and just very disheartening.
1: And then there's also the context of Black Baptist type preaching which in that context, nothing that he said was any different than any of those <laughs> churches. So that's another context that's not included here, but obviously it would just make things worse if she were to say something like that. Um, yeah, so I'm here. like,
0: when you get that big, what would you feel if you were in her position? I feel like if I was in her position when this whole thing came out, and this I f- probably would have distanced myself a little bit like Barack was like, hey, I'm not going dis- to denounce him. Like, he denounced him, I think. Well, I wouldn't well dis- he—,
1: he, he I, he did it slowly. At first, he was like, you know, we're still cool. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Then he kept talking. And I think he kind of had to do it more and
0: more. Yeah, which I even get that. I think it wasn't until you literally have a memoir where you wrote, I mean, you know how many edits of this had to be taken where you thought this was a part that you wanted to keep and you used the certain language, like you said, with the language like appalled and the alignment and comparisons and how you literally started the chapter talking about bullies and taking words out of context and it brought you to this point
1: another thing i just thought of is these are like two super smart people we're talking about and the only reason i'm including barack is because this is kind of related to his election so i'm mainly talking about michelle but since it's related to the election i'm I'm saying them um is that not good
0: no i think it's interesting because when you said barack and calling him by first name, I didn't have a problem, but I realized I'm real territorial over Michelle Obama, because when you said, I'm just talking about Michelle, I was like, don't you call her Michelle? You better put some respect on her name, Michelle Obama, the the former floatist." but either way, I don't know uh, why, because you literally said Barack, so it was the same thing. um, (laughs) Anyways, so (laughs) I done messed you all the way up. Yeah, I don't even know how to talk anymore.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. So these are two high achievers. And so, you know how those people who are always like super high achievement, I don't know anybody on this like achievement level, you're pretty high up there, but-
0: You're so sweet.
1: Those people, if they get like Bs or like 99s, they're not right. And so-
0: Yeah, I was like that.
1: This is their only mark. And there's nothing on Barack. This is it.
0: Oh, and this so is that's like, why you think you she guys thought that? That was most important. Up our
1: perfectly clean slate. Obviously, every other political oh. person has all these other stuff go- stuff going on. This isn't even him doing anything, but this was their pretty much biggest scandal.
0: That is him so, saying you know, I'm glad you said that. That gave me a little bit of peace, even though it's wrong, but coming from the lens of understanding what mindset she could have been coming through. Because for the life of me, I'm like, why are you bringing this up? It's not that big of a deal. But from that lens, she probably felt like she had to go in because she put the ownership more so on him ruining whatever image that they, not ruining, but, you know, that one little tick mark against them. Even though... I don't think it was really a tick mark.
1: This wasn't well done in this in this. Event. Yeah,
0: it wasn't. I guess. Okay, I guess we can. Uh, <laughs> let's 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 bring it back to some good things. So some good things that I thought were brought up. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to say?
1: Well, um, no. I'd be interested to hear what other people have to say about that maybe we can do like a follow-up piece on to see where did we go wrong is there some context we missed
0: yes so please okay so go ahead if you guys can um to if you're listening to this um go ahead comment below some follow-up questions or even comments that you have maybe we are missing the mark somehow on the context surrounding this i would love to hear other people's point of view on how they felt when they read that
1: and I'm, i'm always willing to accept i'm wrong almost to a fault so yeah,
0: definitely. I, as his wife, disagree with that statement. <laughs> but for the context of this, I will say okay. that I, too, am very open like to hearing people's beliefs or hearing people's um, opinion on it and going from there. So ah, let's get on to some good things. So um, some of my peers felt their otherness more acutely than I did. My friend Derek remembers white students refusing to yield... The sidewalks when he walked in their path, another girl we knew had six friends over to her dorm one night to celebrate her birthday and promptly got hauled into the dean's office, informed that her white roommate evidently hadn't felt comfortable with having big black guys in the room. There were so few of us minority kids at Princeton. I suppose that our presence was always conspicuous. I mainly took this as a mandate to overperform, to do everything I possibly could to keep up with, or even... Plow past the more privileged people around me. So that gives you more of her lens. Like, when faced with any type of adversity or anything that kind of seems like someone is calling out her otherness instead of calling them out on it, her viewpoint or ideology is to overperform and compensate for that, which aligns with respectability pro- politics, which makes me realize, you know, everybody has a different coping mechanism and different solution for racism as an. You know a system so part of me is like that's really how she feels I still think it's problematic though
1: yeah I I think you know the reason I have an issue with respectability politics is because I feel like good critical thinkers don't promote it even if they believe it or something like that or you you just don't fall into that trap of that being your main go-to of rhetoric um
0: I feel like you're more balanced in knowing, like, to a certain extent, yes, I'm going to work twice as hard, whatever, I understand that. But the goal shouldn't be that everybody work twice as hard to receive respect. The goal should be that we even the playing field and call you out when you're being unjust or unfair. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know, one answer to that isn't going, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my main respectability politics thing is the the way you wear your pants thing. It's the most, I mean, some cultures don't even wear pants. So it's like you can't use Mine is this one, as a thing it's for like, like, like when
0: you, it's not why. Like from the start of black people being enslaved, it had nothing to do with the way they were wearing their pla- yeah, pants. It, it's so, never about anything, it's not, it's yeah. never about the hair. Yeah, it's never that. about any of these things. It's about being black and wanting to oppress basically an individual based off of their skin color like that's basically what it boils down to so there's nothing that you can do to outperform racism
1: yeah and um you know going back to the passage, it's just crazy that in a place where there's almost none of you some of you is too much it's like you you are forced into these situations where there's no good outcome i guess i don't know but
0: yeah i don't know either i don't know
1: either child so what, let me see what I should. So the cool parts. Um,
0: oh we, yeah, because you. About the cool parts, oh right? yeah, because you, Dwayne, actually listened to some of it. Because oh, th- I was actually just talking to you regularly. Oh. Okay, so go ahead. No, 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 go ahead.
1: So what are some um, good pieces or some good parts that you think people will take, get a good time out of? It oh, not yeah. be so heavy or angry. <laughs> anger?
0: I would say for the majority of the reading, like 95% of the reading, it's good reading where it's not going to get you heavy or anything like this. Of course, the excerpts that we talked about, those are the things that stuck out to me that upset me, but there were so many things that just were good. One, just hearing about her life as a single female and when you get into this new budding romance and you have all these hopes and some of your hopes kind of deter, not deter, but evolve because now you're um, getting married and, you know, you're thinking about starting a family and her ambition, being an ambitious woman and her leaving her profession as a lawyer to pursue what really makes her happy. I thoroughly enjoyed that because um, I feel a lot of times, not just in the African American community, but I will say in the African American community because that's what I'm familiar with. The goal of our parents is definitely for us to be successful. They want us to be more successful than they were. And a lot of times that puts pressure on you and you try to tick off all the marks as far as you go to college, you try to get the safe job, anything to provide yourself some type of stability. And your dreams or your true aspirations or goals are never really explored. She talks about how she chose being a lawyer because she knew she could be good at it, and she knew that it was respectable. It was something that people would look highly on, and it's something that would provide for her. She was making good money. She was moving up in her um, firm, and you know she was performing well, but she wasn't fulfilled. She wasn't happy. And how does she leave that? And she talks about even the conversation with her mother when she was told her mother she was having doubts about this, and her mom's like, girl, make the money now. Worry about being happy later. Which, generationally, it's it's a different mindset. And I just, I really appreciated her talking about that because she goes into how losing one of her good friends as well as losing her father and seeing death kind of firsthand helped her to realize she needs to seize the day now and do what makes her happy. Of course, she didn't just quit her job one day. She did it smart, like in a smart way. But it pushed her to find joy every day because you literally don't know when your last day is.
1: Jen is reading the book, but she also has the audio book. And so one day, um, as you might have seen on one of the other YouTube um, videos, I kind of got a chance to listen to it while I was just chilling around the house. And I thought it was really cool hearing about things from her perspective. Um, It was talking about the early start in her career and also when she was first meeting Barack. And I thought that was like just a really cool, Way to hear something like that from a historical figure um, in their voice. And so, you know, when you read it, it's kind of in your voice or what you imagine it might be. But I felt like it gave me more of a glimpse and I could kind of see it as yeah. she was describing it. So um, even after reading the Jeremiah Wright thing, you know, that inspired me to actually buy the audiobook for my family. So I, I do want to still recommend the book. Absolutely. Um, even despite, you know, the, the longer conversation we just had.
0: On that, I will say I am doing a combination of reading and listening, and I I honestly like to physically read because something about it makes my mind, I just like it. I like the act of physically reading, but memoirs, specifically this memoir, hearing it on audiobook, there's certain passages where I re-round it just to hear her voice. I feel like hearing it is better than reading. Like it's something about it, the way she tells it, like storytelling, you feel like you're not transported, but it becomes more real, and you hear it in her voice, so I highly recommend the audiobook, and I highly recommend the book. Like you said, um, I feel like there's pieces that you're going to take from it and pieces that you may be annoyed with. Some pieces you're going to be like, I don't care about, but overall, this is a collection of somebody's life story, and not just somebody, but literally the first African-American woman first lady of the United States like you know the first African American flotus and because of who she is I feel like the the memoir itself I don't know it's just more pers- I I can't say it's more personal but because of us going through this with her and everything it feels more personal to me um I agree and She's a
1: person you just always wonder, what is that like? Yes. like, And so I think this gives you kind of a glimpse into that. Uh, what yes. is it like being her? Or what is, yeah. what were you thinking when you went through this? Um, she's definitely one of those people that you would think that about.
0: Yeah, and um, I even feel like when she's, she's talking about when um, leading up to election day and then after election day, it's interesting because during the campaign, maybe because it was a blur for her, it seems very timeline and not so emotionally driven, which I didn't really like. But once she gets into the white, o- white office, white house, <laughs> no pun intended, once she gets into the white house, um, she talks about what that's like. And literally, you have to realize, like, a lot of these wives, they're thrust into this position because of the ambitions or the pursuits of their husbands. And they have to figure out, well, she had to figure out, how does she use this platform to achieve her own goals and dreams when you have no interest in political affiliations or anything like this, how do you then alter your dreams to fit this? Which I found very interesting. Um, yeah, that, that yeah. is interesting. I, I think, you know,
1: we all kind of, when you're in a relationship, you see what your spouse's dreams are, and you want to make those dreams yeah. come true. Yeah, so which is why you, you're here today. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I'm here today. So, um you do what it takes to to support um no matter how hard it, it may be <laughs> okay okay okay
0: okay this is, okay let's not let's not okay.
1: <laughs> I think that's a good way to like <laughs> round out what everything that you get I know we focused on you know one piece in particular but definitely the book gives a well re- a well-rounded view from what you've described and kind of some of the things that I've heard um you know of her life experiences
0: um, um yeah so with hearing that would you say is Michelle Obama problematic <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know she, if so she's a good problem for
0: us to have oh yeah that was a good way of wrapping <laughs> but no, up no she's not prob- she's not problematic problematic no. um no I don't think she is I think certain like certain uh, passages specifically that Reverend Wright one was problematic and certain little inferences here and now but overall, I feel like the message that she conveyed.
1: And yeah, we can't judge people on those excerpts.
0: I mean, I can't. I'm judging because <laughs> they weren't just excerpts, those were written in print and thought carefully. I just strongly disagree with the way that was presented. Okay, that's fair. So, I mean, but in all fairness, again, I feel like there was just so much to give. So I would say definitely give this book a read. Um, I gave it three, it's at like a three and a half for me, leaning closer to a three star for me.
1: Um, I didn't read it, but in terms of the audiobook, I would say um, if Michelle Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama, is a person that you're interested in, I would say five-star, you know, give it a read. Um, Or I would be willing to.
0: Yeah, Um, because, yeah, we definitely enjoyed the audiobook, even the little bit that we got to listen to together.
1: Yeah. um, It almost felt like a movie or something. I know,
0: um, it did, didn't it? So that was cool. Yeah. Okay, so... Anything else before we get on out of here and wrap it up for this first episode of Left on Red?
1: I think that's it. Um, looking to get better each week.
0: Yes. So definitely, like I said, definitely comment, leave feedback. We'd love to hear it. And anything to follow up with any conversations that we had, if you have any input on the next episode, we will address those. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.